Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While the people were listening, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they imagined that the kingdom of God was going to show itself then and there. Accordingly, he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to be appointed king and afterwards returned. He summoned ten of his servants, and gave them ten pounds. Do business of these, he told them, until I get back. But his compatriots detested him and sent a delegation to follow him with this message. We do not want this man to be our king. Now on his return, having received his appointment as king, he sent for those servants to whom he had given the money to find out what profit each had made. The first came in and said, Sir, your one pound has brought in ten. Well done, my good servant, he replied. Since you have proved yourself faithful in a very small thing, you shall have the government of ten cities. Then came the second and said, Sir, your one pound has made five. To this one also, he said, and you shall be in charge of five cities. Next came the other and said, Sir, here is your pound. I put it away safely in a piece of linen because I was afraid of you. For you are an exacting man. You pick up what you have not put down and reap where you have not sown. You wicked servant, he said, out of your own mouth I condemn you. So you knew I was an exacting man picking up what I had not put down and reaping what I have not sown? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? On my return, I could have drawn it out with interest. And he said to those standing by, take the pound from him and give it to the man who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, but sir, he has 10 pounds. I tell you to everyone who has will be given more. And from the man who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for my enemies who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and execute them in my presence. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This parable we just heard is similar to the parable of the talents, but different. Different in its sense and its meaning, and to some extent, the details. When our Lord speaks a parable, we have to 
understand the context um, and to whom he is speaking. Of course, he's always speaking to us. But uh, the time that he first spoke the parable, we look at those people who heard him and what they would have drawn out of what he had said. We heard our Lord was going to Jerusalem and that he passed through Jericho. He passed, arrived, he approached the town and then he was in the town and now he's left and he's continued down um, up to, to Jerusalem. And the crowds are following him. The, many of them have seen the miracles. There is a sense of expectation. He's the Messiah. He's finally going to get rid of the foreigners, the Romans in particular, and he's going to reestablish the house of David and the kingdom of Israel, and everything will be great because now we will finally be independent, which is what God always wants for us. This is what the people are thinking. The disciples are not that much different. They have been chosen by our Lord, and they have been promised the thrones on which they will sit and they would judge the tribes of Israel, and they also expecting a worldly kingdom. Although our Lord had said that my kingdom is not of this kind. And so our Lord uses in this parable um, incidents in history of, with which they would have been familiar, and yet at the same time applies it to himself with the application also to his going to Jerusalem and in also at the end of the world. The people, we are told, are listening. And Jesus went on to tell a parable. The reason? Because he was near Jerusalem and they imagined that the kingdom of God was going to show itself then and there. And so he wants to, again, um, take away their illusions about the immediate appearance of the kingdom, and in particular, a kingdom of this kind. A man of noble birth, well, he's referring to himself. He's of noble birth because, of course, he is the son of God, but also in his human birth, he's noble, for he's a descendant of David. He went to a distant country to be appointed king. Well, he came here to earth and afterwards to return. So he summoned ten of his servants and gave to them and gave them ten pounds, so one pound each, with a command: do business with these until I get back. That's fair enough. Problem. But his compatriots detested him and sent a delegation to follow him with this message: we do not want this man to be our king. And so our Lord is making a prophecy here using a historical incident. The incident. Herod the Great had died. That's the, the king at the time our, our Lord was born. His kingdom he, well, it was to be divided among his sons, but one of his sons, Achilles, was determined that he would be king. The Jews hated him because of his cruelty. So, Achilles had, in fact, killed some 3,000 of them in the, in the temple and um, to, to, to establish his authority. And so he went to Rome, because the, the kingship would only be given by the emperor, he went to Rome to the appointed king. 
Jews, however, had other ideas. And they sent a delegation um, to Rome to tell the emperor, no, we don't want him to be king. Unfortunately, the delegation got there after Achilles. So Achilles was appointed, not king, but tetrarch. And um, that, so the, mess the messengers arrived too late with the message, we don't want this man to be our king. When Achilles returned to um, Israel, to, to Jerusalem, he, what did he do? Well, he, all the people who were opposed to him being appointed, he gathered them together and he cut off their heads, which is how our Lord ends the, the, the parable. So this is the historic incident, and it didn't happen, um, it, was, it wasn't something that happened too, um, too, too many years before. It would be in Paris about 10 years when our Lord spoke this parable. So it's still fresh in people's minds. So they said, we don't want this man to be our king. That is the historical. But what about the prophetic? Our Lord is referring to himself. He has, his father has sent him and he has come here. He has come to his own. His own received him not, as we read in St. John's Gospel. He worked many miracles, signs, he gave sound teaching, he spoke about God, and nonetheless, the Jews rejected him. And in particular, when Pilate, the representative of the emperor, said, what shall I do with this Jesus called the Christ? And he said, we do not want him to be our king. We have no king but Caesar. So that is the prophecy. So in a sense, there's a warning to the, to the Jews. A warning also to us. We, we must never separate ourselves from, um, from what happened to the Jews, because it can also happen to us. So then the Lord continues. On his return, so now we've moved to the um, second preparation for the second coming. On his return, having received his appointment as king, he sent for those servants who, to whom he had given the money, that is to us, to find out what profit each had made. So the Lord has bestowed upon us um, particular gifts. In the par parable of the talents, each was given gifts according to ability. But here, everybody is given the same gift, the one pound. And this is what makes a difference. The pound represents something beyond talents. It's a particular, or rather, particular kind of talent. So he calls them in. Sir, said one, your one pound has brought in ten. Well done, good servant, he says, since you prove yourself faithful in a very small thing, you shall have the government of ten cities. So what could this one pound be? What does it represent? By itself, it's difficult to determine. But when we hear what the second servant did, he comes and says, sir, your one pound's made five, and he gets a charge of five cities. We now have two numbers with which to work, the ten and the five. The one pound essentially represents the one faith to which all of us have received in baptism, that one faith. 
What are we to do with it? Well, we are to make profit from it. How do we do this? We cannot keep the faith to ourselves, but rather we have to use that faith to bring others in. How do we do this? Well, the first is the ten. Immediately we hear ten in scripture, we think of the Ten Commandments, because this is fundamental. And so when those who, who um, teach the Ten Commandments, teach people to keep them, then we are in fact using the maximum um, power of our faith because we're bringing them life itself, which is the, what the commandments promise. And when we have the five, we think of the five senses, sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. And what do they do? But they, they cause us to drift away from spiritual things and cling to temporal things. Or in other words, these, these, the, 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 the senses, in fact, make us forget the moral virtues. And this, in fact, again, is what is represented by the five. So when we have used our faith to, em to emphasize the need for the, observing the moral law, we're, in fact, making profit. So in essence, we're talking about sharing our faith with others. So also, we can think of the ten as the, the Jews to whom the law was given, and the five to the Gentiles who lacked the, the law, yet they had the moral, the, who lacked the Mosaic law, but had the moral law with which to cling to God. And so we come to the next. Next came the other servant, Sir, here is your pound. I was baptized, and that's it. I put it away safely in a piece of linen. This is where the problem begins. Because the linen is a cloth used by the Jews to bury the dead. Particularly put on the face. So essentially, he has buried his baptismal faith. Why? Because I was afraid of you. So he has a, a twisted sense of his master. You are an exacting man. Aren't there some who say that about God, that he is exacting? You pick up what you have not put down and reap what you have not sown. In other words, you benefit from other people's labor. You wicked servant. That's all he says. What is wickedness? But to have an evil mind, to, to make a false judgment, especially about God. Out of your own mouth, I condemn you. So you knew I was exacting, picking up what I've not put down and reap what I've not sown. Then why did you not put my money in the bank? Yes, you receive baptism, but surely you should have made some profit, if only for yourself, out of it. On my return, I could have drawn it out with interest. Where is the bank but in ministering to the poor, or more specifically, ministering to those who are spiritually poor, particularly 
in the um, spiritual works of mercy, instructing the ignorant, counseling the doubtful, and so on. Because that is where a, a change in life would have occurred. And so he says, take the pound from him and give it to the man who has 10 pounds. We, sadly, are in this state, um, stage of the, the parable, I believe, because when we have bishops who cover up the faith because they say God is exacting, or put it another way, they say he's so merciful that he will overlook sin, and therefore there is no need to, to, to um, make the full demand of the scripture, of the, of the law. That's, and so the essence of our faith, for instance, marriage, becomes an ideal. It's no, it's no longer something we can actually do. In other words, we're watering down the faith. It's the same as covering it with linen. And so he says, take the pound from him and give it to the man who has ten. The one who proclaimed the law without watering it down. To which those say, but he's got ten already. Well, as the wicked servant had said, you are exacting, you pick up what you did not put down. So, obviously, the, 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 um, the king would, would give to the one who's able to make the maximum profit out of what he's been given. The other servant only made five out of the one. Here's one who made ten. That's why he's been given more. But for the man who has not, doesn't have the energy, the, doesn't have the will, doesn't have the, the desire to make profit for the king, then he will lose that as well. So for all of us, we have to have this desire not to preach the gospel, as St. Paul says, to preach it in all of its details and in its exactness. Because what is at stake is essentially eternal life and the salvation of a soul. And so the Lord answers, now come, comes the last part where he says, as my enemies, those who did not want me for their king, bring them here and execute them in my presence. So our Lord has divided the world into two. Those who believe, even though they believe imperfectly, or even they believe in the wicked, and those who do not believe. So those who do not wish him to be their king, they will be, in fact, excluded from the kingdom. Totally, after he said, said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Let us ask then that we who have been given the pound, the baptism of faith, we might put it to good use, namely by proclaiming it in its integrity, without changing one dot, what, not one stroke, as the Lord himself, as Lord himself said. Not one dot, not one tittle will be removed from the law until his purpose is complete. We do not water it down in any way, but preach it in its integrity. And above all, trust in God, who will give, who will always give the grace to each to correspond to the to what we have received. And in this way we will bring great joy and happiness to many and salvation to ourselves. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. 
go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.